0: February 22nd, 1980, when the US would go up against Soviet Union in the US hockey Olympic games. It was a game where they supposedly did not stand a chance. Even the coach of the US team admitted it in his pregame speech to the team, or at least in the Hollywood version of it. This is what he said, great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here tonight, boys. That's what you've earned here tonight, one game. If we played them 10 times, they might win nine, but not this game, not tonight. You know, coach tells the team, hey, if we played these guys 10 times, they might win nine but that's actually not the correct statistic, at least not according to Vegas at the time. One article writer wrote that Las Vegas had the American team as 1,000 to one underdogs to win the gold medal game. Essentially, the United States stood no chance of winning. To illustrate how much of a long shot the United States was to win a single $100 wager, on the team would have yielded a total return of $100,000. Did anybody make that bet? You see, in fact, it was better put that if the United States would have played this game against the Soviet Union a thousand times, the Soviet Union would have won 999. The article concluded by saying a 1,000 to 1 underdog paying off is essentially a generational occurrence. In other words, it would take a miracle. Uh, but you see, the game was pretty close throughout the entirety. In fact, going into the final period, the Soviet Union was up 3 to 2, but with 10 minutes left to go, the US had flipped that score and they were up 4 to 3. And that would be the score with only 30 seconds left to go. Check out how it ends. Get a piece of- they let off gets checked by Ramsey. The is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to shoot. 5 seconds left in the game. You believe in miracles. Yes! What a triumphant moment. What a moment of unity for the United States. And that was Al Michaels making the call there. He's one of my favorite NFL commentators today. It's crazy to me that 40 years later, he is still making calls. But he asked the question there at the end, do you believe in miracles? And that's our question this morning as we continue today in our series, Kingdom Culture. And so welcome Abundant Life. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. My name is Bob and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the associate campus pastor at the Happy Valley campus. And as of recent, I'm also the interim Vancouver campus pastor. So shout out to my folks in Vancouver. And I wanna welcome you wherever you're joining us from today, whether it's at your home or if you're at one of the watch parties at Happy Valley or Sandy or Vancouver, we're so glad that you're here with us. And today, the title of my message is The Miracles Around Us. And we're gonna find ourselves in Matthew chapter 16. So if you've got a Bible with you or a Bible app on a phone, go ahead and get that out And I want to recap where we've been so far in this series. So far in the series of kingdom culture, looking at the culture of the kingdom of God, we've been unpacking Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. If you've been with us in this series so far, maybe you have this passage memorized. It looks like this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place. They shared everything they had, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, they shared meals with great joy great generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now as we've unpacked all of these different things and looked at this is what the culture of the kingdom of God looks like, we've unpacked so far in this series the teaching of the apostles. We've looked at the fellowship and the sharing of meals. We've looked at the topic of prayer. But this morning we are going to hone in on verse 43 where it says a deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And these miracles were one of the things on the list that caused the early church to pursue the the risen, resurrected, the ascended Jesus with such passion and fervor. And so we're gonna unpack these early miracles, both the miracles of Jesus as well as the miracles of the apostles. And I wanna look at the really important question, why were these miracles happening? What was the purpose of these miracles? And then we're gonna consider the role of miracles for us today as well. And I hope we find they accomplish the very same purpose today. So we're gonna cover a lot of ground in scripture today as we look at these different miracles. Don't worry about turning to each and every passage. We'll put them all on the screen. Uh, Just go ahead, hold your spot there in Matthew 16 and we'll end there. Would you pray with me and then let's dive into God's word together. Uh, God, as we are literally about to dive in and uh, read many of the miracles that have been done throughout the story of scripture. God, I pray today, right now in this moment that you would open our eyes God, give us eyes to see you in a new way this morning. Give us ears to hear from you today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've been following Jesus for some time, there's no doubt that when I say the miracles of Jesus, there's a lot of things that come to mind for you. Even if you're new to following Jesus or you're not yet following Jesus, you're just investigating faith, chances are you can think of some of the miracles of Jesus. Things like Jesus feeding thousands and thousands of people with just a couple loaves of bread. Uh, Things like Jesus walking on the water or being raised up from the dead. There are so many big claims in scripture as to what Jesus did during his time on earth. My question is what were the purpose of those miracles? Why did they happen? You know, take for instance, John chapter two. Uh, This is the first miracle that Jesus would ever perform. Uh, He's with his disciples at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the wedding's a party, it's a celebration and it's going great. Uh, But at some point during the evening, they run out of wine. And so Jesus takes it upon himself to call over some servants and he tells them to go fill up these these really big jars with water. And so they do it and they come back and Jesus tells them to go and take those jars of water to the master of ceremonies, uh, who is basically like an MC at a party today. It was his responsibility to make sure the party was going well, that everyone was having a good time. Naturally, that meant he's in charge of the wine. And so he tells these servants to bring these jars of water to the master of ceremonies. And we read what happened in John 2 9 through 10. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said, and then when everyone's had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. The water had been turned into wine and it wasn't just turned into wine, it was turned into really good wine. It was turned into the best wine that the party had tasted until that point in the evening. Now, those who served, I just think it's an interesting thing to note Those who served and the disciples here were witnesses to the miracle. I don't know if you caught the detail, but the master of ceremonies did not know where this wine had come from. The whole party was a benefactor of the wine. The whole party got to taste the wine, this this excellent wine, the best that had been served so far. But not everybody knew where it had come from. You see, in this very first miracle, there was a core group of people, the disciples, those who were following Jesus, those who were serving, that experienced the miracle. They knew what had happened. My question still is though, why did it happen? You know, what was the purpose? I think it's stated very clearly in the next verse, verse 11. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. You know, when I read this, I have the question, did Jesus turn water into wine so that the party could continue and so that everyone could continue to have a good time? You know, our pastor, when my wife and I got married, preached on John 2 in this wedding in Cana, and he answered that question with a yes, absolutely. John turned water into wine so that the party could continue. It was a, a direct impact on this celebration of marriage. This party could continue. Everyone could continue to joyfully celebrate the marriage that was taking place. But is that the primary purpose? You see, when I, I read this story and I look at verse 11, I would say the primary purpose of this miracle and the many miracles that would follow is the revelation of his glory. The belief in this moment of his disciples, ultimately the validation of his claims. Jesus claimed that he was bringing about the kingdom of God. Jesus had a lot of claims about who he was, his identity as the son of God, and those claims are validated by the miraculous events that exist in scripture. I wanna look at one more from Jesus. It's in John chapter nine, where Jesus and his disciples come across a blind man uh, who had been blind since birth. Okay, and when they come across him, the disciples ask an interesting question of Jesus in regards to this blind man. And they say in John 9, 2, rabbi, teacher, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? You can see the assumption there. It was assumed in this culture, if you suffered from an ailment like this, that it had to be the result of sin. Either he sinned or uh, maybe his parents sinned, maybe it was some generational sin, any way you look at it, somebody messed up and this is the result. Can you imagine being this blind man? Can you imagine the shame that would come from also being blind? Like Not only do you have to deal with this physical inability to see, but you also have to deal with the shame of everyone else thinking the reason that you can't see is because you or someone in your family did something disgraceful. You know, that's the immediate assumption. And that's the assumption that's attributed to God, like God is punishing him because of something that someone's done. And so this is the question they ask of Jesus. And I love Jesus' response. The very next verse, he says, It was not because of his sins, it was not because of his parents' sins. Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. And church, I wish we had more time to unpack this, but I at least feel called to ask the question, is there something in your life right now that is happening so that the glory of God may be revealed and may be revealed in you? You know, that hardship that you've been praying for God to alleviate. If you don't know this story in John 9, it it gets a little bit weird after this. And if you've been following Jesus or you've read a lot about Jesus, there are times in the New Testament where he gets really weird. This, I think, is one of them. After he says this, he then spits into the ground and he picks up some dirt with his spit, he turns it into mud, and then he begins to rub it on this blind man's face, and then he tells him to go take a bath in the local pool. It's a little bit weird. And when I'm reading scripture, I just love to try and make the Bible come to life and imagine it as if it was happening in in real time. And so I think of myself and try to identify with this blind man, right? I'm blind and uh, I I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that if one of your senses is lacking, typically the other senses get a little bit better. So I'm assuming this man is blind. I don't know why I have my eyes closed. Uh, He probably had his eyes open, he just couldn't see. Uh, But this man is blind and now he hears, I'm assuming, really well, these, these disciples and Jesus come over. I'm, sh- I'm sure he overhears their conversation. The disciples asking, hey, is this a sin issue? Who sinned? And he's like, yeah, I know it's a sin issue. There's lots of shame. I get it. And Jesus says, no, this is happening. So that the glory of God may be revealed in him. I imagine he kind of perks up a little bit. And then he, he hears something, which there's no better way to describe this church. I'm sorry. There's no better words. than he hears Jesus hawk a loogie. That's the only way that I could put that. And then all of a sudden after that, now he hears or he, he feels mud being rubbed onto his eyes. And then he's told, hey, go take a bath in the local pool. What's interesting to me, I think what's fascinating to me is the fact that he wasn't weirded out enough by this to not do it. He must have been desperate enough to listen because it's exactly what he does. He goes and he washes and behold, he's healed. It's a miracle. Now, sometimes I'll say it's a little messy to experience healing. I I think that's something we see here, but in it, God's glory gets revealed. Church, where does God want to reveal his power in the midst of your pain? You know, healing from bitterness or unforgiveness, healing from relational conflict, relational strife, healing from an addiction, or like this man, a physical ailment. Where does God want to reveal his power in the midst of your pain. First, God's power is revealed to this man through this miracle. But then others take notice of this as well. You know, First, his neighbors, those who know him, they begin to confront him and interrogate him on what happened. Then the religious leaders come in and ask him a bunch of questions. Then his own parents come in to interrogate. And then the religious leaders again. And each time he's like, guys, look, I don't know how to explain this. All right, all I know is there was this man, Jesus. He rubbed mud on my eyes. He told me to go take a bath. I did it and I was blind and now I can see. That's, that's all I can say. And this answer is clearly not good enough for the religious leaders because they kick him out of the synagogue. And when they do, that's when this man meets Jesus again in, in verse 35 through 38. But I want you to notice what this miracle has accomplished. Like obviously he was blind and now he can see, but notice the bigger purpose at hand that this miracle accomplishes. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and he asked him, do you believe in the son of man? The man answered, who is he, sir? I I want to believe in him. Well, you have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you now. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. You see, this man's ailments, it was not a sin issue. It was a so the glory of God could be revealed in him issue. And this miracle was not for the sake of the miracle itself. It led to validation of Jesus' identity. It led to the man realizing that Jesus was worthy of his worship and it ended with him worshiping Jesus. You know, I love what Pastor Aaron Walton said week one of this series. He said, the expressions of the church should never be a means to an end, but instead a catalyst to reveal Jesus to the world. And that's what we're looking at here in this series. We're looking at different expressions of the church found in Acts two, miracles being one of them. And when it comes to miracles, like this quote from Aaron says, they are not a means to an end. They are a catalyst to reveal Jesus to the world. In John two, Jesus didn't turn water into wine solely that the party could continue. In John 9, Jesus didn't heal this blind man solely that he could see. These things happened ultimately so that Jesus could be revealed, so that the kingdom of God that was in breaking here in this moment could be recognized and validated. In John 20, at the very end of John, it draws the same conclusion In verse 30 and 31, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded here. And we've got a lot recorded, but John's saying, hey, there's way, way more than what we've got recorded. But John says, these were written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. These things are written. These miracles happened so that you may believe and in your belief, you will have life. The purpose of these miracles is to validate and ultimately point us back to Jesus. Now our verse in Acts two, it specifically talks about the wonders, the signs, the miracles being performed by the apostles. So I just wanna look at two apostles in action in the very next chapter of Acts. It's Acts chapter three and uh, it's John and Peter. And they're on their way to a prayer service, which again, just bringing the Bible to life, I think it's pretty cool that uh, once upon a time here in this moment, there's a prayer service being led by the apostle John, the apostle Peter, I would have loved to have been there. But they're on their way to this prayer service and they see this beggar who is lame. He has been lame since birth. He can't walk. And he's sitting outside of the temple gates and he's begging for money. In fact, we learn from the story that he has carried there every single day so that he can beg for money. And that's what he's doing when Peter and John come across him. He's saying, guys, do you have any spare change? And this is what Peter says in response in Acts 3. He says, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and he helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, he stood on his feet, he began to walk. And then walking and leaping, he began to praise God and he went into the temple with Peter and John. All the people saw him walking and they heard him praising God. Uh, Again, notice the miracle. Notice what happened here in this moment. Yes, this man is walking. He I love how it says, he's leaping for joy. You can you can imagine the celebration here. The, the joy of this man in this moment is immeasurable. However, I would still argue it's not the primary purpose. The result is him praising God. You know, Peter then takes this moment in Acts 3 to share the gospel, the story of Jesus, to this crowd that had gathered, this crowd who had witnessed this miracle. Peter goes on to tell them about Jesus. He's actually gonna get arrested by the religious leaders of the day for sharing the story about Jesus, but not before he could share it. And we see what happens in Acts 4.4. Many of the people who heard his message believed it. And so the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. You add the women and the children, and this was becoming a movement. There were a lot of people. The church is growing. And one of the biggest catalysts for that growth, we see it here, were these miracles. The validation of the message, the kingdom of God is here. You know, I, I wanna finish with what about miracles Today. You know, not solely the US defeating the Soviet Union on ice or or that Chicago Bears comeback a couple weeks ago against the Falcons. I know there's not many Bears fans out here in the Pacific Northwest, but that was miraculous for me. Uh, but I'm not talking about those kind of miracles. I'm talking about these kind of spiritual miracles, these validation of the kingdom of God type of miracles. What about today? You know, there's a large spectrum. theology on how God shows up today when it comes to miracles. Although there are few scholars who would disagree with the idea that God does show up today. We might not always agree on how, but we believe that God shows up in miraculous ways today. He'll do it with his timing Uh, in whatever circumstances he chooses, with his power through whatever means he chooses. But we believe God shows up miraculously today. What I wanna suggest to you, and the title of my message hopefully gave this away, is that there are miracles all around us if we'll pay attention. And that's where I wanna end with with the passage that hopefully you've been sitting in this entire time. Maybe you thought I forgot about it and so you've got it away, but put it back out. We've got Matthew 16. If you're following along with me, uh, we're gonna look at verses one through four. It says, one day the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these are just the religious leaders of the day, they came to test Jesus, demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. You see, even they understood how signs work, and they're going to prove that he is who he says he is, so they demand this miraculous sign. Jesus replied, well, hey guys, you know the saying, red sky at night, means fair weather tomorrow, and red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. I don't know if you knew that, but red sky tonight means good weather tomorrow, but red sky during the day in the morning means foul weather all day. Just put that in your notebook as well. Uh, But he goes on, he says, you know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the time. Uh, That was Jesus using sarcasm if you didn't get it. He says, only an in in evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Uh, now, now, here's my take on this. The religious leaders of the day, they always wanted more. You know, they never had enough from Jesus. They would watch Jesus do something miraculous, and then Jesus would claim who he is, his identity, or make a claim about the kingdom of God. And then they would say, you have to do something. You have to show us a sign so that we may believe, as if they missed it the first time. You know, for example, Jesus fed thousands and thousands of people, and then he made a claim that he is the giver of life, the bread of life. And the response from the religious leaders was, well, show us a sign do something miraculous. You see, they they missed it. Jesus says, the only sign you're going to get is that of the prophet Jonah. And if you don't know the story of Jonah, put simply, he's an Old Testament prophet who was swallowed by a fish, was in the belly of the fish for three days before miraculously coming out of the fish. But what Jesus is doing here is he's using that to foreshadow what will be the biggest miracle of all time. The fact that he will die, he will be buried and dead for three days before ultimately rising again. You know, this is incredible foreshadowing going on to the biggest sign that we as Christians have today, the biggest miracle that we have, the biggest claim that Jesus rose from the dead, that people saw this and then they documented it and then people preserved it for centuries and centuries. Some died to preserve it. And we have this truth today that Jesus rose from the dead. What we see here is the religious leaders in this moment—they missed it. They can interpret the weather, Jesus says, but they can't interpret the signs that the kingdom of God is at hand. Many miss it here. Many will miss it later, even after Jesus rises from the dead. They still didn't have enough. They still needed more. You know, as Christians, as the the believers in the biggest miracle of all time—someone conquering death. Do we also need more than that? Do we feel like we don't have enough today? You see, I I think sometimes, just sometimes, like the religious leaders, we too are are so focused on needing another big miracle. We're so focused on the miracle that we expect of God showing up in the way that we are specifically praying for. We're so focused on, God, if you'll only do this, that I think sometimes we miss the miracles all around us. My wife is currently pregnant. Uh, She's about 20 weeks along, uh, which if you know our story, we were supposed to be the cool aunt and uncle. You know, we were having dinner with uh, Pastor Aaron Walton and his wife, Katie, their awesome family. And this was, you know, about 20 weeks-ish ago or however long, uh, very recently. And we were sitting down with them and they were asking us about kids. You know, you, you guys have been married for what, six years and you still don't have kids? What's, what's going on? Are you guys going to have kids? I think they were pressuring us a little bit. And to which I felt very confident in my response We're gonna be the cool aunt and uncle. We've got lots of siblings. We're gonna have lots of nieces and nephews. We're just gonna be the cool aunt and uncle. I was set. We found out we were pregnant the very next day. Thank you very much to Pastor Aaron and his wife. But I'll be honest. Since we found out, the first couple weeks were like this very fake excitement. Like everyone was like, congratulations. We're so excited for you. This is amazing. And I was kind of like, this is not amazing. This is not the plan. Now, since then... I have come to see the profoundness in what is happening. But as we've gone through this process, and I feel weird saying that, as my wife has gone through this process, right? Uh, it's Jim Gaffigan who says, when you think about the male contribution to life, it's pretty sad. J- just let that, let that sink in. But I still love saying, hey, we're pregnant. Like I'm very much involved in what's going on here. But my wife, as she has gone through this incredible process of literally growing a human inside of her, it has clearly been a miracle to us. As we learn about what's going on and what's happening and all that needs to happen for this to go right, it has been miraculous. It has pointed both of us to Jesus in such a special way. Now, I know some people, they look at that process and they think it's simple biology, like it just makes sense to them, it's very natural. Uh, But for us, with everything that we learn, we see the miraculous power of God. And in church, I'll be honest with you, it's interesting to me that for a few weeks there, I almost missed it. You know, I was so busy focusing on my life the way that I expected when it comes to miracles, the the miracles I wanted, my plan, that I almost missed this profound excitement. I almost witnessed, I almost didn't witness this miracle. I almost had my eyes covered and I wasn't able to see it. And it took weeks for me to be able to see it. So you could say I did miss it for a little while. Now I wanna ask you, what miracles are around you right now? what exists in this moment right now that defies odds, that reveals Jesus to you? And I think if we slow down for a moment, if we reflect on all that's going on around us, we will begin to see the miraculous ways that God is at work today. And if you can't think of anything, I, I would say start here. You know, we have life and breath right now, in this moment, if you're watching this, we have life and breath on a just giant spinning space rock, right? That is somehow spinning on itself. And while it's also simultaneously spinning around this big burning ball of fire. And if we were just a little bit closer to the big burning ball of fire, we'd be too hot. A little bit further away, we'd be too cold. But like Goldilocks and the three bears, we're just right. All the things that have to happen for it to be just right. The fact that we have life and breath right now in this moment, in and of itself, is miraculous. And can we start there and then begin to reflect on all that God is doing around us? The purpose of these miracles is to validate the message of Jesus, and God is a miracle worker like the song we sang earlier. God works miracles. And so I wanna close us in prayer and simply ask him to reveal to us what he is doing now around us. Would you pray with me? God, as we come to you in this moment, I do pray that you would help us to see the miracles around us. God, we wanna see you. We wanna see what you're doing. I pray that we would not miss what you've already done. God, I pray that we would not miss what you are doing right now in this moment around us because we are so focused on what we want to happen, what we expect from you, what we have been praying for. God, show us the ways in which you have already shown up. God, let your miraculous work then point us to you. God, when we recognize something miraculous, let us, like so many of the people in Scripture, when they see your miracles, the result is them praising you. God, as we recognize you at work in our life, may it result in your praise. May it result in our recognizing the worthiness of your worship, God. We want to worship and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.